you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Week two of the NFL Report is here. I'm Steve White with my guy James Palmer rocking the, uh, the, the terracotta right there as he is uh, back in, in Denver after a long flight back from Cincinnati this week. Uh, JP, we got a lot going on because you know, usually week two is a much more truth teller than week one, right? Oh, we kind of we so. can kind of read the tea leaves, and I think we can see what some teams like Cincinnati and Miami might be. Some teams like Dallas, do we really know they're two and zero? How good they are? We got still a ton of unanswered questions. Yeah, Steve, how about this? If we're telling the truth, what's your take on Skyline Chili in Cincinnati? Skyline Chili is good. I'm also, but I'm probably a bigger Gold Star fan myself. But I don't want to oh. insult anybody in our audience. You know, that there's there's a lot of touchy okay. feelings about that. Do you like chili yeah. on spaghetti, JP? No, I skip halftime uh, meal in the press box when I'm there at Paycor Stadium. I'm not going to lie. I double up pregame. Pregame was good. I double up pregame, get a little something extra. There was sticky buns up there this time. Even though I told that's a Philly thing when you say sticky bun too often, cinnamon roll, whatever you want to call it. I call them all sticky buns. But I had an extra one of those so I wouldn't do the, the Skyline stuff at halftime. I'll be honest. And, every, and everybody watching and listening are like, oh, these sports writers, they get fed. They don't. I don't want to hear them complain about anything. Well, you know, that's part of the issue. I'm sure you want to complain about the fact that we also – Get to watch football for a living. Yeah, JP, baby. we saw a fantastic display of what this Ravens offense could look like when they went and they beat Cincinnati. I mean, this was a huge game. You, you heard John Harbaugh talk about it's a big game. Players talking about how, how sweet it was to send the Bengals to an 0-2 start. You were there, and you were texting me during the game like, man, Lamar looks really good. This offense yeah. is serious stuff. Tell us a little about what you saw, man. Yeah, pregame, Steve, and I think I was on with you pregame also, and I was talking to the members of the coaching staff, and they're like, listen, Lamar is not comfortable in this offense yet. We're not sure how long it's going to take. We're going to see how the process goes, but obviously this is very different. He didn't play in the preseason, so week one was really our first opportunity to see him go out there and operate in it. We didn't see him run at all. I thought it was really interesting when I talked to Zay Flowers, the rookie wide receiver. He was like, no, 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 that was the plan for Lamar not to run. The plan was for him to sit back there, get comfortable, Steve, get a feel for this offense sitting in the pocket, because why? He knows he can run, right? He knows he can find ways to go out there and create and make plays. He wanted to sit back there and feel it. What did we see in week two? We saw him go out there and have an extremely balanced attack. I think that's the difference. When I talked to Mark Andrews after the game, he was like, now that we have these receivers on the outside, Life's easier for him in the middle. You have explosive players on the outside. You saw after the interception, bang, right to a 52-yard reception by Zay Flowers to go deep. Lamar Jackson was accurate. He was comfortable. If they're wondering how long it's going to take him to get comfortable in this offense, I don't know, week three? Now they're so <laughs> balanced because at the back end of this game, what did they do? They just kept the Bengals off the field. Lamar ran the football. They ran the football even when Cincinnati knew they were going to run the football. I think this is a really fun, interesting offense to watch now because of the balance it has. And, and what's interesting about that is they were down two starting offensive linemen, right? Their center, yes. Tyler Linderbaum, and left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Center. Yeah, I mean, this was this was we were wondering before the game. You were on a pregame show with me, JP. We were like, "Wow, Lamar is going to be on his horse all day because these these Bengals rushers are going to be all over him." He was on his horse on scheduled runs, and because that's what may have opened up because this offensive line held up well. That is a positive sign because we know left tackle Ronnie Stanley has had injury issues to his legs for years. So if they can have somebody mm -hmm. come in and fill in capably, that's fantastic. But the balance, that's when the Ravens work, right? When they have to rely, you know, one-dimensional, running too much or throwing too much, that's not them. But also, and I want to get this back to you, Zay Flowers. We saw Odell Beckham go out with an ankle injury. We don't know how significant that is. But the rookie wide receiver out of yeah. Boston College seems to open up this offense, open up the field for Mark Andrews across the middle. What impact can he make? Because they have not had not only a deep threat like him, but a route runner like him, yeah. maybe in Lamar's tenure. 
that that's the thing. And there's already such a it looks like chemistry and connection between him and Lamar Jackson. He's nine catches in the first week. Like from a rookie wide receiver, the interesting part about Zay, real quick, is that he already can line up in every single receiver spot they have. He can play the X, he can play the Y, he can be a different member of a trips group, you know, the number two, the three. He can line up in the backfield. His versatility in that sense and understanding of the offense and being able to do that is extremely important and really impressive this early. But what they're impressed with, Steve, is how strong he is for his size. For a little guy, yeah. Guys on the coaching staff, they were like, you know what he can do? He can't get tackled. And that's pretty important in this league is he's hard to tackle. And I look like he's going to be that explosive player to add into making this a layered offense with Mark Andrews as well. And when we talk about offenses, talk about explosive plays, that's usually what we talk about with the Cincinnati Bengals. But we have not seen that very much. We saw them get better offensively in the second half. But what we also saw in the second half was Joe Burrow re-aggravating that calf injury. I was in the press room to hear him say this post-game? Uh, well, when when your quarterback misses camp, it's it's tough to it's tough to start fast. Uh, it's uh, it's not an ideal situation. Yeah, I'm I'm still confident. Um, I feel really confident in all the guys we have in that room. You know, like I said, we're gonna have to see how that calf feels in the next couple days. Uh, it's pretty sore right now, but no no telling how it's gonna feel. So I think we're gonna take it day by day. Steve, this is a team that we were not very concerned with starting 0-1. Now they're 0-2, which is what they did, I believe, last year. (laughs) Um, So what's your take watching this game, watching a Super Bowl contender start not just 0-2, 0-2 in the division? Yeah, I mean, JP, normally I'd be like, you know, they're going to be fine. This seems a little different. There's a feel to it, and you were there, not me. But mm-hmm. in pregame, again, you were on the pregame show with us on, on, our, on our game day preview show with Andrew Siciliano and me, and you said, I have been watching him warm up, and he yep, doesn't look tell. right. That, that calf did not look right. You saw that pregame. Then he aggravates mm-hmm. it during the game, and then we're seeing him, and for those of you listening on the podcast, he's got the Theragun kind of gunning it, trying to get it loose, you know, after he sustained this, you know, the, the injury, the aggravation. This seems like it might be something that could linger. And so you say to yourself, well, will they shut him down? You know, because Burrow said we have to figure, wait a couple days to see what's going on. That's not Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's usually not that open about how he physically feels. And when you hear a lot of athletes like that talk about that, they know something's they know something's mm-hmm. up. And so maybe they have mm-hmm. to shut him down, or maybe this is going to be an issue for several weeks, if not for longer, that he has to work through. And we know if Joe Burrow is not at full strength with some of the pressure that they allow on him, this could be something where the folks in Cincinnati, in the words of the great animated legend Scooby-Doo, say, rut Yeah. Yeah. Say it again, Steve. Say rut row Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Listen, this was a dejected locker room. Um, there was definitely a lot of confidence after the first loss. This one was a little bit different. And I don't think it's because they're 0-2. When I had side conversations with players, it was, Steve, I have a fear that this is going to linger. Like, that's my concern, that this calf thing is going to linger with Joe Burrow, and that's going to impact our ability to get out of this 0-2 start. I don't think anybody in that locker room doubts Joe Burrow as a player, doubts that he's one of the best quarterbacks and players in football, that this offense can still be one of the best offenses in football. We've just seen too much success out of this group, right? That's not their concern. Their concern in these conversations I was having in the locker room were, man, I hope this doesn't linger. Like, I feel like that might be the case. And and that is the major concern. Because you saw them in the second half, Steve, after a slow start. I talked to Orlando Brown Jr. He's like, we wanted to get out to a quick start. They barely had the ball. They had the ball for 18 plays in the first half. The Ravens had 47 plays in the first half. The second half, they started stringing together some drives. They really did. And then this happened. So that's where, really, to me, the major concern is. Everybody says Joe Burrow is the next... Pegged down, I believe they say, uh, Steve, from Patrick Mahomes, who on his uh, birthday goes out and gets his 65th career win uh, over the Jags, a game that I thought was going to be a shootout, and it was just the opposite. Well, and, and that's in part, JP, because this Kansas City Chiefs defense, which typically slow plays 
its 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 development into being very good is off to a great start. I mean, they get Chris Jones mm-hmm. back, and he plays 34 plays, and none of us really thought he was going to you know completely dominate. Well, he did. He did. Mm-hmm. And once again, to go back to our pregame conversation, that's where I said one thing about Chris Jones when we talk about his dominance is he does it at the right times. He does yep. it in key moments. He does it on third. That's a three-man rush we're watching right here, and he bats it down. Just absolutely works the left tackle. Here's one where you three-man rush again, gets to Trevor Lawrence. This is one-on-one winning. This is impact football. This is getting Trevor Lawrence to think, oh, my God, there's 95 coming off the edge from a five technique, not even a seven technique, and I can't get away from him. Now, part of that's the coverage downfield. And, James, this speaks to the bigger issue of Chris Jones' impact. It affects mm-hmm. all three levels of what the Chiefs are doing. They could cloud the deep, the deep pass in, from behind, drop their linebackers to cover the intermediate stuff because they know Chris Jones can be that disruptive. That's what we saw over and over again in this game. And you saw him rush from different spots. He was out there on the edge. Remember when they toyed with that a couple years ago? He dropped some weight, and they were like, maybe he's an edge rusher. Now he's doing it at his current dominance and his current strength that he has in the middle of the defensive line. See, but also can rush from the outside. They always love moving him around. Finding advantages, but you mentioned it. He he's a he's a drive ender, a game ender. You saw him do that on fourth down. You see how he's able to get their defense off the field to put the best player in football back on the field. And what's happening with this defense, and when I spent some time there in camp there, I was talking to safety Justin Reed, and he was like, Everybody now understands our system in the secondary. He's like, I was teaching everybody my role and their role throughout all of the season last year. So many new faces. Now they're year two into the system. And this group as a defense, which usually starts slow, is playing really well early on and helping out this offense that struggled a little bit. I have to put this out there as we talk about Patrick Mahomes. This was a nice birthday present from the Chiefs. This is a, this, this is from Rap Sheet right now while we're recording this. A new deal for Patrick Mahomes in the restructured deal, he now receives $210.6 million between 2023 and 2026, the most in NFL history over a four-year span. We knew this was coming, Steve. It is now here. And whew, the offense has sputtered a little bit, but uh, his, his, his – Wait, hold up. Hold up. Okay, okay. Now, now, everybody who's watching and listening, this is how, like, TV and all this works. 30 seconds before we are coming on to tape this show, James and I are talking about this Mahomes deal is going to get done pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Don't believe all this hype where Patrick says he doesn't need all this money. There's been conversations going on for months about getting this restructure done. And now you are saying he's getting 200, how does Marshawn Lynch put it, 200 uh, grips? 200,000 210 grips? million. 210 million. 210 million. This, this is cash dollars, I'm assuming. This is guaranteed bread that he's yeah, getting. Per Ian, listen to this, Steve. Mahomes has now received over 273 million in guarantees since the deal was originally signed in 2020. An NFL record. Whew. That's unbelievable. But listen, I mean, look, this, this is. This is how this team is operating, Steve. And it's interesting when we talked about this whole Chris Jones situation and everything that was going on and Chris Jones wanting this new deal. We've talked about how this team has looked to build moving forward. They move on from Tyreek Hill to make other money. They look how they're moving everything forward with Patrick Mahomes in line. How does that change everything else? We're going to find out this offseason. Well, and let's also not let people forget, wow, Patrick Mahomes is getting all this money, this and that. In hard cash dollars, the amount of money he took in the first three years of that 10-year yep. $450 million deal was minimal. It wasn't a lot. I, I want to say it was around $60 million, not minimal to NFL players. Uh, it's a lot for you and I. <laughs> but the fact that he was willing yeah. to minimal sacrifice. Minimal for Steve Weich. Yeah, yeah right, damn right. If he, if, he, if he took that little money when you see some of this other upfront cash these players got – this is, this is a just reward for him to get the two Super Bowls. Plus, it's going to allow, as crazy as it sounds, the Chiefs to create cap space along the way. So maybe they can get Chris Jones done, depending on how the structure of it is. We're not going to get into all of, of that good stuff right there. All right, JP, you're going to get the final word before we move on to the B-Block. 
Yeah, I'll say this. They were just waiting for Joe Burrow's deal to get done before they really pushed these things forward. Once they had those numbers, they were able to readjust everything they wanted to do moving forward. Now, as we move forward with this show, Steve, we're going to have Jeff Chidea on to talk about a couple of these comebacks. Who was gift-wrapped a victory and who had to go out there and actually earn it? More coming up on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve White's joined by Jeff Chadia, who I'm not sure how close, Jeff, you live to Patrick Mahomes, but you might want to swing by and uh, see what's <laughs> happening over there at Mahomes Manor. Uh, it's been redone, uh, and now they have some more money for uh, for future upgrades, even though it's all brand spanking new, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're not in the same neighborhood. I, I can promise you that. I, Come I on, Jeff. Up to see where he's oh, at. Oh, you're adjacent. You're, you're, yeah. you're adjacent, yeah. right? Is that the right right word to use? I'm more like he's up here and I'm way down here with the, with the other <laughs> the other peons. But, uh, yeah, you know, look, I, I think one thing that we knew when he signed his first big extension was that that was not going to last for 10 years. The number sounded great, half a billion dollars, but at the end of the day he took a, a team-friendly deal with a discount and they weren't going to allow – Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and everybody else, you know, Justin Herbert, all these other quarterbacks to be paid more than the best quarterback, the best player in the league. So this was definitely not a surprise. Uh, the numbers aren't surprising. Uh, I think James in the break, we talked about just the possibility of them looking at this again uh, in four years mm -hmm. and redoing it, but they're always going to make sure that he's at the top of the pay list. And they're also going to try to make sure he has, his money, but they have the flexibility to keep making moves to keep this team going. And Jeff, real quick, explain that because people who may not necessarily know how to finesse the cap say, wow, he's getting, you know, $210 million over the next three years. We're going to be hamstrung. But that money, when it's amortized over the length of the deal, it actually creates cap space. It, do it does. It does. And really, and they've been doing this for the last couple of years where they don't mm -hmm. want to get into this world, and I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on how NFL contract works, but they don't want to go into this world where they're always trying to borrow money, get players restructured, and try to get create salary cap space. They feel like having him at a number that's manageable for them, they're able to go to him and create cap space when they want to, but they also know he's getting paid as well. So this number will be spread out over the course of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the deal. I don't know exactly all the details involved, but even though it's a big number, it's really more about the years and the way that the, the escalators are set up, the way that they can actually um, spread it out, uh, you know, pay, to, pay it to him over the course of that deal. So a lot of ways to work and make it flexible, which is big for general manager Brett Feach. And with that said, Jeff, look at what they have to do this offseason. You have to pay the two guys that are right there in front of Patrick yep. Mahomes and center Creed Humphrey and their left guard, right? Right. Right guard? Trey, Trey they're Smith. Trey they're guard. They're guard. <laughs> He's, right guard. Uh, He's a guard. You know, th those those are two of the best guys at their positions right now in football, and they want to hang on to the interior portion of that offensive line, and both of those guys, Steve, are, are up uh, and looking for, for, for some cash of their own, uh, and you got to pay some of those guys. If, if you're going to build all this around Patrick Mahomes, protecting Patrick Mahomes is a big part of it as well. So, as you guys know, that's, that's when you have guys in the roster who are like, hmm, I'll be 32 at the time of this next deal. I've got two years left on my contract. Uh, honey, let's go ahead and put the house up for sale because we will not be here next year. One guy who will be in place for a long time is Giants quarter, quarterback Daniel Jones, who, like Patrick Mahomes, signed a big deal this offseason, not for as much bread, but here's Brian Dayball talking about his quarterback and his team rallying from three touchdowns down yesterday to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Belief. Um, but you can talk about it till you're blue in the face, Pat. Belief. It's got to happen. You have to see tangible results, too. So uh, you know, I think we have some mentally tough players on our team and coaches. It's not always easy to be mentally tough when you're 
you know, whatever it is, 60 to nothing after a, a, a game and a half. Yeah, mentally tough, you better be. Because, like, like he just said, like Brian Dayball just said, Jeff, you're, you have not scored after being outscored 60 to nothing after a game and a half. You're playing the Arizona Cardinals, who, I'm sorry, uh, Saints, aren't really that team. You got to do something. And, and JP and I were talking about this before the show. The coaching that Brian Dayball and that staff had to do, not only to motivate those guys, but to scheme them back and to get them rolling again, Jeff. What about being able to come back from a game like that when they really were reeling? Yeah, you know, I, I do the first read column every week, and I thought about writing about this team, the Giants, but I, I don't it. know what to make of them for what you just said, <laughs> which is you've, yeah. you've got um, a, a team that got destroyed by Dallas. you got a team that couldn't score a point against the worst team in the league for the first half, and then they had this great comeback. And then they also, oh, by the way, Saquon Barkley gets hurt. You don't know how his right. ankle is going to respond. I, I feel as if the Giants are a little bit of a mess right now. And I think you have to do all this work to beat the Cardinals. You've got some problems. And, and, I, and I'm a big fan of Brian Dable. But, and, and you can say that they did a great job of coming back in this game. But I also feel like they got away with a lot of stuff last year. Got some things that break their way. They're not getting that to happen now. And I just feel this is more of a team that's going to end up being around six, seven wins than a real playoff contender. Yeah, Jeff, you just said something that has been talked about kind of behind the scenes for a while. And so, I mean, even speaking with folks at the Giants, they'll tell you last year they won, but they did it with some smoke and mirrors and some optical illusions because they were not a fast team, <laughs> right? They did not have a ton of speed. And they had to upgrade their speed to be able to compete. And we and I don't know if they necessarily did that by adding Darren Waller and this and that. They've got to be tougher and better in some of the positions. So the coaching job Brian Dayball did last year was worthy of him winning the Coach of the Year honors. But, JP, you know, again, you look at this team. They play Thursday night against the Niners. Saquon, we don't know if he's going to be able to go because of that ankle. You know, th- I, I'm with Jeff. I mean, you just don't know what to make of this team right now because – we still don't know what their identity is, and I don't know if anybody still is really sold on Daniel Jones. Well, part of that identity, Steve, was going to be you bring in Darren Waller to be really probably your number one target, and, and you don't know how his season's going to go with the hamstring right now and, and how that's going to move forward, especially with some of the offensive line issues that they have and what we saw in the second half. Yes, that was the most yards, by the way, Daniel Jones has ever thrown four and a half. I think it was 259. Most he's ever done in, in a half, but it was essentially him and Saquon. Uh, I like that they got Jalen Hyatt kind of like into the mix in yeah. a sense. Maybe you can find ways to stretch the field a little bit, Jeff, because you're going to need to do that if that's your offense. Essentially, Daniel Jones and and Saquon Barkley trying to somehow half run it, half throw it uh, as a combo because there are definitely some concerns. But I do agree that once again, what I saw was a, a locker room that kind of believes, and that was a definite defining moment when you get embarrassed in week one and then you're going, well, we have the Cardinals. And then you're getting embarrassed when you walk into halftime. That might be a defining moment to where this season's somewhat salvaged, but I think their margin for error, Jeff, is really, really thin if they think they're a playoff team. Yeah, certainly. And, and look, the money that Daniel Jones got paid this offseason, sometimes when you pay a guy that, usually, usually when you pay a guy that kind of money, you want to turn him into somebody who can justify that kind of payment. I, I agree that this was a big moment for him and this team. But again, if you have to be down 20 to nothing in every game you play against bad teams to find yourself, I just don't think that's a great place to be and discover your identity. Uh, They did a great job of coaching this team up last year, but weapons wise, they're still lacking in a lot of ways. And by the way, no one really talks about this, but Kayvon Thibodeau has got to start doing something for this team. Yeah, (laughs) he does. You're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, he's got he's got yeah. to start making some. And here's the other part. You know, we're talking about the Giants and them rallying. They're still probably, uh, probably, they are the worst team in the NFC East because the Washington <laughs> yeah. Commanders, yeah. folks, are two and zero. The team we thought that was going to be busterific is two Fighting and zero right now. Yeah. And they because they had mm-hmm. a big time comeback against the Denver Broncos. Jeff, we're going to talk about. The Broncos a little bit later on and some great stuff you wrote in your column at NFL.com slash Chidea. But what about the commanders right now and the fact that Sam Howell, who you wrote about, looks like a real dude? The biggest surprise of the week 
for me. And I was certainly a doubter in Sam Howell. Did not see him being uh, a primetime player, but, you know, I watched him a little bit in the preseason game when they played against Baltimore, and he he showed some of that savvy and that moxie and kind of that Cavalier style of play. But to do it in week two when you're on the road and you're down and you have to forget a lot of bad stuff that's happened and and still deliver big plays for you, uh, I was mesmerized by what he did. And, And not just the throws, but leading the offense, keeping things together. I feel like he and Eric Bieniemy right now, this tandem is – it's almost like Daniel Jones and Brian Daybo last year. Like they, they are surprising people with the way Bieniemy's coaching him and the way Howell's responding. I love that you brought up EB. I mean, I'm not going to say that the Chiefs are struggling offensively because Eric Bieniemy's uh, not in the building, but I'll say that the Washington Commanders – as an offense that definitely have some weapons. I talked to Patrick Serdan in the locker room last Wednesday before this game, and he was like, Terry McLaurin is the most underrated receiver in the NFL. That's in Pat's mind. He's like, I don't understand why he doesn't get attention. He can do everything. But he also told me Jahan Dotson is an up-and-coming star in his eyes. That's one of the best cornerbacks, maybe arguably the best cornerback in football, his opinion of these wide receiver duo. Let's let's just remember this, Steve, before we get to break. They had They were down 18. On the road, Sam Howell's first ever road start in the NFL, and then they really go on a 32-3 to run yeah. in a stretch in the middle of this game that is just ridiculous. Whew. I mean, who the hell would have thought that Eric Bieniemy might be able to coach up a quarterback? Jeff, we're going to see you a little bit later in the show. As we get ready, as we move on to the next block, we've got when he, a baker, we've got Jordan Love, and a new dog in Atlanta – the Bijan Freeze here on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Des, just, can you just talk about how that game was? It was so crazy. You guys looked like you were, you know, kind of down for the count, and then you come back and you just kind of take us through no, the no, game no, from no, your perspective. No, 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 no. Never down for no, the count. Never, okay. yeah, when you see the Atlanta Falcons out there, we'll never be down for the count. Uh, we're going to fight until that clock hits zero. So, you know, that's what I'm proud of this team and everyone on this team uh, for not giving up, not, you know, and just keep going out there and just fight until that clock hits zero. All right, that was Falcons quarterback Desmond Ritter is now. James and I are joined by Sarah Walsh. And, and I got to tell you, like, if you're, if you're a teammate of Desmond Ritter and you see that, you're like, that's my quarterback, especially after the way he just played. I mean – they made some fourth-down conversions. He made some really gritty, like, run-type plays, some big throws to Mac Hollins and Drake London down there. As they come back from 12 down, Sarah, to beat the Packers and to move to 2-0 and atop the NFC South. And you were telling me earlier that, you know, you had a conversation with the team owner just by chance, by the way. Yeah. About the optimism Who's, for his kind of circles does Sarah run in? Like, I'm just running you, into this is how Sarah gets down. Yeah, guys, I just, you know, I, I didn't make it to the owners' meetings, the fancy owners' meetings that you get to go to, so I was just flying around. No, I was actually in Atlanta. I was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday for a, a different kind of football, soccer-related, because Arthur Blank, as you know, owns Atlanta United as well, and so he has just given the U.S. Soccer Federation a $50 million check. They're going to break ground and have U.S. Soccer's training facility in Atlanta. I also cover soccer. Again, everything, as you know, in life is a very, very small world. So I was up there. uh, I was at their stadium on Saturday with Arthur Blank. And and obviously, the season is very young. There's a lot of optimism. And and I was actually standing out on the field, which was the soccer pitch at that time, because they were about to play a game uh, after this press conference. No messy. No messy. no, but I, a bit, there were people yelling at me and I was like, you guys don't think I wanted Messi to be here? I was doing this. I was doing an unrelated press conference announcement and then Messi was supposed to be playing 30 minutes later. So I was staying, I was all in on this thing and like fans are yelling at me. I'm like, yo, I want him out on the field just as much as you do. Um, actually, I don't know if Arthur Blank wanted him on the field because um, it was better for yeah, his uh, his Atlanta United. Anyway, um, but they, they're so excited and, and they're, this is a, it's, it was 
crazy because we're standing out on this field and I was talking to a team employee and I'm like, it's insane to think that since this stadium was built, there's been a Super Bowl there. Um, and there has not been a, the Falcons have not hosted a playoff game in that stadium, which feels like it's been around for a while now. So to think that you erected this beautiful stadium, it hosts Super Bowls, uh, Peach Bowls, all these exciting games, like they are clamoring for a playoff game to be in Atlanta in that stadium. And it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, I saw the Falcons last year too, and, and they were knocking on the door, as you could say about every single team in that division, right? Because the, it, they were all separated by one game with the box and then everyone else is tied. So it could have gone either way, but um, look, they've shored up that defense. They need Desmond Ritter to not make mistakes. He needs to make the plays when he needs to make them. And we saw him do that um, in a really gritty, gritty win. And I think to the sense about Arthur Smith is, you know, this hasn't been like the the, the most um, when you look at wins and losses hasn't been the best start right of anyone's coaching career when you come in and like you you want to go right away right to the postseason and that hasn't happened for him. But anyone you talked about Arthur Smith, there's just so much respect for him around the league and how smart he is. And there's always just been this sense like they are going to get it on track. Uh, and it sort of felt like they were really putting the pieces in place this offseason. And you're starting to see this. I mean, look, he doubled down on Desmond Ritter this offseason when they could have looked elsewhere. And he was like, nope, this is our guy. And, uh, and that was the first time I saw his comments, Steve, in that press conference. And I, when I was sitting here when he was saying that and cut off the reporter and was like, nope, never down, I'm like, yeah, like, I'm in. I get it. Like, I- I'm in. So I think this is a Falcons team that, that's certainly heading in the right direction. I'm not surprised by that 2-0 start. Listen, not everybody's sporting a mustache, but this team has Arthur Smith's identity all over it, Steve. Like, they are physical in every way that they play on both sides of the football. I found it interesting, talking to people in that building this morning after their win, one of the most interesting things that that was said to me was, we really love Drake London and Mac Hollins as a one-two. You're like... Matt came in as an afterthought. He leads this team in receiving right now. And, and, and they really like those as a one-two wide receiver combo. Now you're looking at it and going like, well, that's kind of interesting. But they like that matchup, Steve, because of all the other pieces they have as well, right? And, they are wowed by B. John Robinson and what they can do with him. He's their second leading receiver, honestly, and where they can put him all over the field. I, I was told we're just scratching the surface about what we can do with Bijan, and And you're seeing this is right now, I know we're two weeks in. This is probably offensive rookie of the year material so far. This is what we're looking at. I mean, I think Andrew Siciliano hosting that show with you, Steve, said his moves have moves, which is essentially the way Bijan plays, but he also plays physical. I think that's the other aspect of it. I'm I'm curious how Kyle Pitts fits into this coming off of the knee. Does he become another added element? We'll see if that happens. But what I like is they have enough talent, Steve, where they do think Desmond Ritter is making mistakes but they feel like he's making rookie mistakes because they do consider him still a rookie. They have enough talent around him right now and a physical enough defense to where if he doesn't make rookie mistakes that cost you games, they're still in a very good spot as he grows. Yeah, and look, I, I spoke to Terry Fontenot years ago when they were building this, and, and twice passed, two drafts passed on quarterbacks, and he said, look, we want to build our roster, so when we get to the point where we find a quarterback, he has got a nice landing spot. He'll have time to develop. No, he's, he's got, got a weapons landing around. spot who can carry this team. So they, they've got those types of players. You know who else is 2-0 in this division, though? The team that nobody thought was going to be 2-0, Sarah. Those are oh. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just put a absolute waxing on the Bears. You were there. You saw that game. Baker Mayfield, 2-0 for the first time in his career. What is the transition from Brady to Mayfield, not only done for Baker, but kind of the rest of the guys there saying, yeah, we can win without Tommy. I think what's interesting is that it's not that um, Tom is his own entity, right? Tom is his own universe in the football world and even bigger than the football world. And as soon as Tom was gone, these expectations change. And I don't necessarily think that it has to be in a bad way. Because when I say the expectations have changed, like no one expects them to win. Everyone's saying that they're going to finish last in the division. And while you wouldn't go, wow, how is that a good thing? Uh, It just took pressure off these guys. Um, They have been under the spotlight uh, every single game since the day that Tom Brady announced he was coming to Tampa Bay. And then you win a Super Bowl. That that doesn't lower the expectations. Um, And so I just think that that starts to wear on you in a different way. And look, expectations are a privilege. You hear pressure is a privilege, all those things. Yeah, that's great and all. But this is a team that's like, okay, nobody's looking at us. Nobody cares about us. Like, that's fine. We're just going to go out and have a good time. 
And I, I do think it, it sort of changed this mentality of the team where they're just kind of out there having a good time. I, I know, Steve, you and I talked about it when I was in Minnesota last week and I was in the room right next to where the box, their locker room. I've never heard them screaming and hollering after a game the way they did when they beat Minnesota. Take out the Super Bowl. That's a different thing. But like, yeah, this is a team that's just operating in a, in a different manner because one people discounted them, but I think that they're enjoying that. I think they're enjoying being out of the spotlight. Um, every little thing that this team has done in the last three years has been picked apart and scrutinized in every single way imaginable. And if you don't have that on you, it's almost like it, it's, it's a relief. And like, let's be honest, Chicago came to town and after their terrible week one, the pressure's on Chicago. I mean, everyone's looking at like the sky is falling in Chicago. Whereas in Tampa, they're like, Hey, great week one win. We surprised you. We went to Minnesota and like no one thought we'd come win. And now we're down here and no one still expects us to win. And they win again. And, and they've done it in a myriad of ways. The defense has been really good, really lights out. And Baker Mayfield, one of the most, I know you guys aren't a stat show, and but tell me if this surprises you because it surprises me. Baker Mayfield is what? leading the NFL right now in third down completion percentage. Number one. And and like that what? was something they struggled with last year. Do you have? Was, is that not surprising? Do you, I, I, <laughs> that I surprises that. Like, me. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he's been he's he's converted eighty seven percent of the time on third down. I mean that's like insane. And this is a new offense to him, a new team, and so um, I think they're just really enjoying themselves here in Tampa right now. Yeah, it's, I think Sarah, that's been the biggest surprise. I think for all of us, everybody's seeing. Uh, I think Baker. Let me do the math here. My math's not as good as yours, but I think he's played for fourteen teams in the last twelve months. <laughs> um, and, and he goes out there and he plays the way that he's gone out and played, specifically on third down, protecting the football. Which mm-hmm. I think I will say this, Steve. Everybody's kind of waiting for that Baker stretch to happen, where you go, "What was that throw?" Right. But it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And I do think that there's something between him and Mike Evans, specifically when plays break down. And I think Mike is, you know, definitely that type of player. And Sarah, you know him well in terms of being able to make plays when things are off script with the size that he has, the speed that he has. We're still seeing him going out there just being one of the best receivers in all of football. But Baker is the one who's making this go in terms of all of us being surprised because it's a talented roster. Vita Vea, Antoine Winfield Jr., I mean, the linebackers, I mean, they have Tristan Wirfs on the offensive line. I mean, they have a lot of talent. And one of those guys that, that I didn't mention right there is a pass rusher in Shaq Barrett, Sarah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he goes out and, and he goes out and makes an unbelievable play to seal that game. But what happened in the end zone, just mm-hmm. on another level compared to the play that he made. Yeah, here's the thing for for people that aren't aware, and I think most people are. Uh, Shaq, first of all, is coming back from a, a torn Achilles that happened, I think, in week eight of last season. Mm-hmm. So he's just trying to make his way back, right? And then horrific, horrific tragedy this offseason. Um, his little two-year-old daughter, Araya, drowns in the family pool. Um, so what he has had to endure over the last several months of his life, are it, it's just incomprehensible. And he talked about it yesterday that um, before the first game of the season in Minnesota that he just sat in his locker room and started crying because it hits him in different moments. And and yet he stepped to the podium yesterday and he was so joyful. And, and I had this, like, I actually... Mm had this anxiety of like, oh my God, so he just has this pick six, end of the game, seals the deal, but he's going to get asked about his daughter and what it means and like this poor guy because he's now he's going to get up there, like how, how is he going to handle it? And he had the biggest smile on his face. He had this huge blinged out necklace that was a heart and it was his little daughter on it. And, um, and he was so joyful though. And he was like, I was so happy that happened because I blew her a kiss and like it brought the spotlight back to my daughter. And which was like a very cool way of, of thinking about it because I mean this he's he's going through it and he's going to be going through this for a long time and Todd Bowles was asked about you know how do you see Shaq being able to maneuver what he's been able to maneuver through um, not you know he has an injury that he's still working his way back from and he said it's unbelievable I mean it, it's it's unbelievable what he has been going through on and off the field and so to have that finish the, the people that know that story behind that to have the finish that he had yesterday. Um, it was just crazy, and it's been a very um, a- an amazing start for a Buccaneers team that there were a lot of question marks about. And then, of course, you know the Eagles are coming to town for Monday Night Football, so everyone goes, "Okay, here's the here's the test now." So we'll see what happens on Monday night. Yeah, exactly. And Sarah, just real quick, Unreal, we got about, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah just uh, uh, just we're all parents here, and so the yeah. the, the respect for Shaq Barrett um, to continue to wear a smile on his face going through what he's going through, just immeasurable. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, community is just devastated for him. One of the best dudes in the league, man. One of the best people 
in the league, covered him for a long time. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, Sarah, appreciate it. We're going to move back onto the football field a little bit. A couple of legendary coaches, Steve, in terms of Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, both 0-2. How about Brandon Staley, 0-2? Whose seat is the hottest? Well, Jeff Janine is going to come back and tell us. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Russell in the pocket, now bounces around. Sets and throws the ball up in the air. The ball deflected. The ball deflected and caught! Touchdown, Denver Brandon Johnson! Good Googa Well, I mean, the Hail Mary did not get to the end zone, Steve. Jeff, it did not reach the goal line, but somehow it was caught in the end zone. <laughs> uh, Brandon Johnson, that was the Hail Mary from Russell Wilson to Brandon Johnson, but no two-point conversion. Some debate about a penalty in the end zone there wasn't called, and the Broncos fall short and lose 35-33. But it wasn't that Hail Mary, even though we saw Russell Wilson play a little bit better. Sean Payton still having some issues with the operation. Sound familiar? Here's Payton. There's a number of drives, you know, where we're late with personnel, getting out of the huddle. We took a while. I mean, that's got to change. We had to burn timeouts in the first half, and I'm not used to doing. We got to be better, and uh, I've got to be better. Russ has got to be sharper with with getting it, getting the play out, and then we got to look at how much we have in. But um, you know, if we need to wristband it, we will. Well, you know, wasn't too long ago when Sean Payton was talking about Nathaniel Hackett in the bad operation because he was a bad head coach. Jeff, now he's getting a kind of a reality check, talking about going to wristbands, getting personnel out. Today, on Monday, he said he had to shorten the verbiage now of the play calls so they can get to the line of scrimmage quicker. I mean, they're, they're searching for answers already, my man. Yeah, building a glass house over there is what Sean Payton's doing. It's uh, easy to throw oh. stones when you're watching from afar, but once you're actually in there dealing with the quarterback, things get a little bit different. <clears throat> I thought it was ironic that he was talking about these kinds of challenges because I thought Russell Wilson played fairly played fairly well. And Russell Wilson even said they played their best half of offensive football this year in that game. Uh, in that first the problem half. I see with this team right now is that all the talk about culture and teaching people how to win and getting the right people in the room. It's just, it takes a while to make this kind of stuff work. And I will say this, the Broncos are probably a better team right now with Sean Payton coaching them, but the numbers game is not working in their favor because when you lose two games against teams, you should beat at home and you have the dolphins coming up next a couple of weeks down the road, you got the chiefs and the bills and the Packers and the chiefs. Again, it's starting to look like this team is going to end up being two and six, you know, two and five as they near the midpoint of the season. And that's just not going to get it done in a crowded AFC. So I understand the concerns and Sean Payton's desire to make Russell Wilson as good of a quarterback as he possibly can be. But you're up 21-3 at home. you got to win that game. Hold, hold up, John. If they're you, two you, and five, you, if they're two and five, what do they do at quarterback? Because you know people are going to be screaming for Jarrett Stidham or whomever. Oh, man. it's. Uh, I think part of it depends on how it looks because you can be – you can play well. Yeah, this was a defensive second half that, that, that squandered this one away. Thank you. Thank you. No one wants to talk about that part of it, but defensively, they're not the same team yep. they were a couple years ago. Yeah, and I, I want to chime in a little bit before we move on about this whole situation that, the, that is being talked about here in Denver at nauseum on Monday about the play calling and about it taking too long in the operation. First point. I was told repeatedly after Sean Payton's initial comments to Jarrett Bell in USA Today this offseason, texts from multiple members of that coaching staff from a year ago that just kind of all had the same sentiment. Wait till Sean starts working with Russ. We had these issues constantly last year. I was told repeatedly that there were issues about plays getting in too slow, and that blame kept going 
on Nathaniel Hackett and the offensive coaching staff. And now we're seeing the same issues with a new coaching staff coming in. And I remember at the beginning, maybe third of training camp, I, I asked Sean Payton about that communication between both sides, Steve. And he said to me, 90% of it is on the play caller. When things go wrong, it's usually the play caller's fault. That is not where he's coming from right now. It looks like it is the same quarterback with two different play callers, that this is an issue with the verbiage. Now, the interesting part with the wristband was Russ was wearing a wristband on Sunday. Yep. So I guess they're going to change some aspects of the wristband, change some of the verbiage. This has been an issue with Russell Wilson his entire career. This was a big issue in Seattle. They yes, just found was. ways to work around it. Michael Robinson has talked on our air at nauseum about the help that he gave in the huddle to Russell Wilson at times. So it's finding ways around it, which my last point, I know I'm going on with this, but I'm fascinated by it. During training camp, you always see, right, the play caller with the with the walkie-talkie, and they're talking to the guy, they're talking to the quarterback. That did not happen during training camp here in Denver. Sean Payton was in the huddle giving the plays. Ooh. What I'm curious about was, are we not practicing this? Or is there an aspect of this to where this is slowing down our operation in training camp? So we just have to make sure I get the play in so the rest of the other 10 guys aren't affected, Jeff. Like, we have to get work on this. We can't let this slow us down at camp. I'm curious to try to get to the bottom of this because apparently it is an issue in Denver. Yeah, I have a hard time understanding how a quarterback who's played as long as Russell Wilson's played can't understand verbiage or can't get play calls in. It seems like it should be second nature, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mystery. I agree. It's, it's hard to understand it. And it's happened so many times now that it's easy to say, oh, it's the play caller, but it's got to be the quarterback. Yeah, look, mm-hmm. it, it, look, and the guy, and let's, let's not forget about this. He has had tremendous success in his career. Yeah. But to, for things and to kind of wind said, always told me, Steve, not everybody's perfect. Somebody, everybody has, a, everybody has a, a flaw in their game. This, might, this is something Russ has been great hey, at. Hey, James, what is it about being in Denver and bringing up how mom was raised you? I'm just talking about Colorado, <laughs> I should say, not Denver. <laughs> That's just part of the whole Colorado State, Colorado thing. All right, hey, Jeff, an- another coach Whoa. who Sean Payton supposedly was going to replace before he got to Denver is Brandon Staley with the Chargers. As we know, this team is loaded. They spent all their money on defense. I mean tons of it on defense other than on their quarterback. They're 0-2. They've lost games the same ways to tough teams now. Well, to Miami and then, well, Washington are 2-0, right? But they just keep – you know, they just keep getting – I'm sorry, the Chargers lost to Tennessee. Beat on the, on the deep ball. Defensively, they're not mm-hmm. affecting the quarterback the way they're paying people to do that. And Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. We know last year there were rumblings about his job security. The way this team has started, are you concerned about this? Yes. No, without a doubt. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about, again, a team that was supposed to uh, – be pushing the Chiefs. Every year we hear this, right? The Chiefs yep. have owned the AFC West for the last seven years. But the Chargers are always that team that's nipping at their heels and, and getting close and on the verge of a huge breakthrough. And I, I just don't get it. Uh, Brandon Staley is a is – a, I, I like him as a coach. Yeah, I like him as a person. But he's supposed to be a defensive guy. And the defense has never been good since he's been there. There, there was a great stat that I read earlier today that said the, the Chargers as a team have given up more pass completions of over 30 yards than any team in the league since Staley became the head coach. And you're talking about a, a secondary that has Derwin James, that has J.C. Jackson, that a pass for us is Khalil Mack and you know Joey Bosa, all these guys, and it just never seems to work. Again, 0-2 with, uh, <laughs> against teams that they're good enough to beat. You can't do that in a crowded AFC and certainly – when you're chasing the Chiefs. Yeah, that's that's the one that blows me away. And the other part is, if you look at the numbers, the way Ryan Tannehill has closed out games with the Tennessee Titans that are in overtime, he's 5-1. and If you look at what's happened with Justin Herbert in these late games, the stats are not the same. A lot of times, guys, that's coaching, right? That's what happens down the stretch. And a lot of times also, we think one guy's going to win Rookie of the Year, Steve. Maybe another guy, a sleeper already through two weeks, could be the rookie of the year. We'll tell you who Steve has his eye on coming up next on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling 
tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, back with a final block here at the NFL Report. And, JP, I was at the Rams-Niners game yesterday. A fantastic game. Oh, that was a good one. Trust me, the Rams are a lot better than we give them credit for. They're very physical up front. Matthew Stafford looks absolutely reborn. You saw that in the joint practices with the Broncos. Mm -hmm. But rookie wide receiver Puka Nakua. A fifth-round draft pick, the latest mid-to-late-round draft pick the Rams had that had been developed by wide receiver coach Eric Yarber, who is the secret sauce to this offense no one talks about. He went for 15 catches against the Niners. He's got 25 over the first two games, the most by a rookie. First off, the 15 catches, the most by a rookie in a game. 25 most by a rookie over, over two games. But, you know, I was speaking to Niners players after the game. Talano Hufanga was like, oh, I, I know his brother well. I'm tight with his brother. But I always knew Puka was a dog. And they said in the first half, he was their zone buster, right? And they saw it on film against Seattle the week before that he saw the seams in their in their zones and was killing them. So in the second half, they went up, they pressed him a little bit more. They put a little more traffic in front of him. He had eight catches in the second half after having seven in the first. So he was better. He's a real dude. <laughs> And here's the thing when Cooper Cup comes back, because right now he's playing Cooper Cup's role. I mean, lining up at flanker, cracking guys like Nick Bosa at the line of scrimmage. When Cup comes back, he may change roles a little bit, but he clearly is trusted by Stafford, as you can tell by the 20 targets, James, he received against yeah. the 49ers. Yeah, we should make it abundantly clear. When Cooper Cup comes back, this is not just like, all right, see you later, Puka. That is not no, the case. No. He's definitely going to have a major role in this offense. When they had those two joint practices in Denver and I was there, I was just like, this guy is torching a secondary that's supposed to be very, very good. Now, through the first two games, we haven't really seen it play as maybe at that level, but he was really the dominant player in those two games. And I love that we bring up Cooper Cup repeatedly because that's what I love about Team Steve is that this guy drops in the draft due to concussion due to speed. He was like a 4-5 guy. You know who else was a speed guy that dropped? A guy that dropped because of his speed? Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup and this yep. is a team that has not really been focused on the speed aspect of it. It's understanding defenses, understanding space, understanding ways to get open. And this is just a great example, just like Cooper Cup, to go out there and, and be a dominant player when the whole league apparently is based off of speed. And, JP, he's got football speed because they were using him on jet sweeps mm -hmm. and things like that as well. They were getting the ball in his hands. Speaking of speed, speed, this edition of the NFL Report, it flew by, JP. We want to thank Sarah Walsh and Jeff Chadia, NFL.com slash first read for more on Jeff. And we'll be back on Thursday. Also, listen to the podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.